Coming up today on the show, Ryan Leaf joins me, former NFL quarterback and WSU legend, now NFL analyst and podcast host. He's going to give us his thoughts on Geno Smith, what he saw from him last year and what he expects from him this year, and also the Seahawks and where they fit into the NFC landscape. We'll show Ryan's projections for the entire conference, and he'll talk about how close he thinks the Seahawks are to the top of that conference. He's also going to reflect back on that time that he spent in mini camps in the offseason with the Seahawks under Mike Holmgren in 2002. Really excited about this one. No more beating around the bush. Let's get right to it. Ryan Leaf on this edition of Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan Viennes. My guest today is a very busy man. You see him everywhere. You see him on the NFL Network. You hear him on SiriusXM. You see him on college football games. He is a motivational speaker, a published author, former NFL quarterback and Washington State University legend. Ryan Leaf joins the show today. Ryan, thank you for taking so much uh, some time out of your busy schedule to join me on the show here today. Uh, awesome to be with you, Dan. My pleasure. Always good to talk to people back in the Pacific Northwest. Miss that place. Yeah, you're an East Coast guy now. Yeah, we moved out here about a year ago. Um, had to get out of L.A. Uh, I think people probably understand that pretty well. Um, <laughs> you know, kids got a lot of space to run around in now. You know, we got like three acres out here. Nice. Got a, I got a library that smells of rich mahogany. So, I mean, I think I'm Ron Burgundy at pretty, uh, up pretty well right now. So. Is Baxter running around there somewhere in the background? Oh, yeah. Uh, I would be uh, remiss if I also didn't mention the Straight Line podcast that you've been doing. Uh, some some excellent analysis uh, work there. You definitely want to check that out and follow that on Twitter uh, if you're not familiar with that as well. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts as a guy who kind of has the big picture, covers the entire league um, on the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, let's start kind of the quarterback looking at the quarterback. The big story here, obviously, last year was the resurgence of Geno Smith and the year that he had. Um, Give me your thoughts on what you saw from him last year and kind of what you expect to see from him in year two as a starter. What I loved about Geno last year is there was absolutely no fear. Zero. He was letting it rip. And it was so fun to watch a guy. And I, I get it. Like, he wasn't going to allow or take anything for granted, having been put on a shelf for the last 10 years yeah. or so of his career, that if he got this opportunity, if the gods sh- uh, shined down on him, he was not going to fear a thing. And he let it rip. And it showcased it. He led the, you know, led the, broke the Seattle Seahawks single-season passing record, uh, and he had the wide receivers to do so. And then you add, you add Jackson – and now we're talking about something that could be not only, you know, surprisingly special, but incredibly, you know, legacy defining special hmm. there in Seattle. So that's that's a big thing. Really impressed with him. Just understanding the mindset, because to allow himself to be a first round draft pick, a starting quarterback in his mind, to humble himself to be a backup for that long, waiting for another opportunity. I couldn't do it. In fact, I was in Seattle when I was given that opportunity. Yeah. And I walked into Mike Holmgren's office and I said, I'm not your starting quarterback. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, why would I play? You know, I didn't, I didn't understand the bigger picture. Yeah. And so he's, uh, 
uh, he's, he's really an inspiration in my book. That's for sure. It's a fascinating perspective that, that you have on this. And I was going to ask you about your, your short time in Seattle a little bit later in the show, but you brought it up. Is, is that ultimately you went to the mini camps, you spent a lot, uh, a good portion of the off season here. Is that ultimately what led you to retire and walk away from the game is, is, is you just couldn't wrap your head around not being a starter at that point? That was, that had more to do with my pride. Uh, of anything. But then I also was really starting to develop a ton of mental health issues around mm-hmm. my anxiety, my depression. Uh, you know, if I would have been able to walk into Mike Holmgren's office and tell him that, like say, hey, I'm having trouble getting out of bed. I feel sad all the time. I feel lazy. Um, I was more embarrassed about showing up at camp and missing my target weight and being fined for mm-hmm. it. Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I, I couldn't get out of bed. I mean, People who have dealt with depression understand that, you know, yeah. what that malaise feels like. Um, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what it was. I just thought I was lazy. And uh, and so that's what ultimately, you know, made me change my mind. I would have loved the opportunity. Imagine if I would have came in and said that and he said, let's figure out something, Ryan. Let's go get you the help that you need, you know, taking nothing away from Trent and Matt. But if I do that, and I have the right mindset with the talent that I had, maybe I'm the starting quarterback in Super Bowl 40. That's, yeah. that's the way I think about it. It may be as far-fetched as you could imagine, but right. you know, you just, you use those opportunities and you look back on them like, you know, I made the, the wrong choice in just quitting something that I wanted to do since I was four years old, simply because of a stigma that existed that made me think I was weak rather than, you know, seeking the help that I needed. But, it was pretty cool to watch Matt do what he did there, though. I'm, I love that guy. We're friends to this day. Um, it's a good story out there. He, he got disinvited to the Combine in 98 because I declared after the Rose Bowl, and they had to disinvite somebody okay. when they invited me. And Matty, Matty was the one that <laughs> got, got booted out. But one of the only teams that came to the Boston College workout was Green Bay. And so Mike Holmgren and him rode that for a long, long time. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, certainly people that are familiar with your journey and have watched you, you know, from then 2002 to today, um, I can take a lot of pride in what you've done. And as a former Coug, I certainly have, um, during that short time that you were part of the Seahawks organization, is there a memory or a practice or a workout or a story that stands out to you as, as a, as a real happy time that you, that you think back on? Um, I mean, I don't know. I think just the relationships I built there in such a short time. I figured out how to be a teammate at the NFL level when it was too late. I went to Tampa, um, and my short time there, you know, was uh, incredibly invested with those teammates, um, the, the guys I've kept the most touch with, and I never played a game for them. Same, same with you know my time in Dallas, my work with with Wade Wilson as the quarterback coach. Um, relationships I built there. And one of them was with Trent Dilfer uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in Seattle. It was, uh, you know, right before uh, he lost his child. And I remember talking to him after that and just, you know, the ability to have the, I think the humanity uh, and that connection because we were in a locker room together. Yeah. I think that gets lost on a lot of people. So it's not, it's not the happiest of stories. It's I look I can look back on it fondly now because of the relationship it built, because of the difficulties and and how he was there for me years later when when my life t- started to sp- spiral out of control. So 
I think just, you know, I found some really real, real relationships uh, while I was in Seattle. Let me ask you this. That was early on in the Mike Holmgren era here. And uh, of course, Seahawks made their first Super Bowl appearance a few years later in 2005. Could you see that the seeds of a championship team starting to sprout there during those few months? I mean, every team I went to, I, I mean, these are pro football players. It, yeah. it all depends on how things come together. You know, what the, a right piece here, a right piece there, luck, staying healthy, all the things that go into it. Um, you know, I think Sean Alexander was the guy that really just, you know, mm. was was a guy that, that shone out. And then you had Steve Hutchinson, yeah. which, you know, I think you had every level of what you needed um, during that process. So, uh Anytime you had Mike Holmgren at the helm, you were, you were the, the opportunity to be successful was there, and it was interesting to to run a West Coast offense for the first time in my life. Um, I was such a down the field thrower, yeah, so foreign to me to take just throw it, you know, two yards from the line of scrimmage, you know, and matriculate down, down the field. It, it right. just was foreign. You look what Mike Price brought to the table at Washington State. Mm-hmm. We were. The reason why we had low completion percentages because our average attempt was ten plus yards down the field. Yeah. I mean that if I was throwing the ball around, you know, within two yards of the line of scrimmage or minus two yards of the line of scrimmage, where the NFL game is nowadays, you know, that, that's why we see the the completion percentages what they are. Well, it certainly worked for you in that Mike Price system. I I have often told people that 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 season, that nineteen ninety seven season, your junior year, threw for almost four thousand yards, thirty four touchdowns. Um, that I don't think you made a bad throw that year. I, I, obviously, that's that's probably a little hyperbolic and and an exaggeration. I like it though. You might disagree, but just watching every single game that year, I as a fan, I don't think you made a bad throw that year. And I don't just mean the, even the incompletions. Like, like it was it, the baseball analogy would be all your swing decisions were good every single I, one. Uh, it was a great year. I knew the offense like the back of my hand. Yeah. You know, we, I'd been in it for for three years. I had spent so much time with with my head coach, who was also my quarterback coach and my offensive coordinator. Um, I trusted him and we thought the same way and, and how to run an offense. And I think that's, that's what everybody got to see that year. Um, ironically enough, you know, you, you invest so much in a first round draft pick uh, and then you fire the, the head coach in week five, yeah. like they did with me and Kevin Gilbride. And then they decide to go out and, and get a head coach and they decide to get one from the PAC 10 conference but instead of going out and, and getting a winner uh, or, or a guy that coached me in an offense that I was very successful at, they go to Oregon State and grab a guy who had never had a winning record at Oregon State before uh, yeah. and bring him in and, and, and whose personality would have conflicted like oil and water with me. And that's exactly what it was. And so it's just always odd to look back at things and go like, why wouldn't you try to set somebody up for the most success for your team when you invested so much money in it when you had a guy that was – that was right there. I, mean, I I can't imagine if I would have gone into a game in the NFL and I didn't have to think about a damn thing offensively Yeah, because I knew it so well. And that's what meant Peyton uh, so good. He had the same offensive system from the moment he got in the league with Tom Moore to ultimately with Clyde Christensen and Adam Gase was what he brought to the table. The whole career was running the same offense. That's why he was, he never thought about anything when he was at the line of scrimmage. He just, figured what was going to what he was going to do and put him in the best possible position so it's always funny to look back at it in hindsight and and I think you know you know we get to see that uh when an NFL guy gets locked in with something that they that he feels comfortable doing 
you see a lot of success. It has so much to do with chemistry and, and fit. And uh, it, it reminds me of another WSU situation where my old college roommate, Tim Rosenbaugh, was drafted by the then Phoenix Cardinals. And off the top of my head, I can't remember who the head coach was his rookie year, but they fire him, they bring in Gene Stallings, and those two just clashed from day one. And it was just never, that marriage was just never going to work. You bring that back now to what we're talking about with the Seahawks. And now Geno Smith in his fourth season with Shane Waldron, I think, maybe third. Um you know, obviously the continuity with Pete Carroll, and now you surround him with all those weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba, in addition to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, that stable of tight ends they have, a young running back room with a lot of dynamic talent and a couple of guys that are really, really adept in the passing game. Talk about what that's like, because you were surrounded by a ton of complimentary talents uh, at WSU, for sure, with all those receivers, with uh, McMichael and McWashington and Jackson and Nyan Taylor. Uh, what what kind of luxury does that afford Gino knowing every time he drops back in that pocket he can go anywhere with the football I mean I can't tell you I, I cannot believe that Jackson Smith and Jigba fell to that spot I mean I do not know what the New York Jets were doing you could have done something <laughs> that the Green Bay Packers never did for Aaron Rodgers yeah. and that give him a skill position player in the first round you add him to the mix in New York I mean it's already good enough as it is but they pass him up, and some. I'm just like, what's going on here? This dude is 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 special. He's unique. He's going to be an inside guy that uh, effectively changes what defenses have to do in that division. San Francisco is going to have to change their defense now because of Jackson Smith and Jigman mm, and what he's wow. able to to affect. So, if I'm Gino, yeah, I mean, he must have been, uh, you know, cloud nine when when that announcement was made that that. Uh, and Jigba was going to come to Seattle and, and be a part of that wide receiving room. Um, exciting times for the Seahawks. Um, again, it depends on what you know what they can do defensively, how they sure. can get stops in a division where they're going to need it. Um, but I also think there's a bit of a kind of comeback for for Geno Smith simply because uh, defensive coordinators, you know, they don't they didn't have anything on him. Yeah, you know, and for as much as you want to be able to do during the season you're going up the next week against somebody else and you got to prepare in a week span go back and look at when colin kaepernick was really exposing teams in the nfc west there with what they were doing you gave them an off season you gave defensive coordinators in a complete off season and we saw a dramatic difference and mm-hmm. what now what what gino does is what the nfl does you throw the football I don't know how much you can really do to limit that, but there are going to be some things that defensive coordinators throughout this league have seen in Geno, and they're going to effectively uh, make those changes and and try to obstruct what they do offensively. I think he's good enough to overcome it, but just be aware that I, I think there could be a bit of a regression early as he as he find, finds and navigates his way with a with a defensive coordinator crew that have you know, really looked at different ways to, to slow him down. And I was going to ask for your thoughts on that, on, on uh, essentially, I, I guess pressure is the word. There, there are expectations this year that he didn't have to live with last year. I want to put a graphic up for those of you watching uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, this is your top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL that you published recently and talked about on your podcast. Um, and for those of you listening on audio, it starts at Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, two, Hertz, three, Josh Allen, four, Lamar Jackson. Then you go Jared Goff at six, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson at eight. I want to get your thoughts on that in a second. Justin Herbert, David Carr. Um, if you were to continue this list on, 
about where would you slot Gino in? Let me, let me go to my notes here because I, 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 I usually keep everything in here that I put together. So now I can go back and look at what the, what the 10 after that looks like. Um, this is exclusive content, folks. Exclusive content, everybody. <laughs> uh, where do I have? I have car at 10? You do? I must have made a change on some of this stuff. Okay. Oh, this is the full NFL. Okay. All right. So I have, I have Gino, uh, as the, uh, um, as the seventh ranked quarterback in the, in, in the NFC. So, okay. so he's right there. Okay. Um, you know, I want to see it again. I, yeah. I, I yeah. you know, I just, I think like anybody, it's like the, it's like the jets this year. Um, everything looks perfectly sound for this team to be Super Bowl champion this year. Uh, they just have never, the Jets systemically have just never been able to do it. Yeah. I need to see it. Uh, I just need to see it again from Gino. If I do, I mean, if he has the type of season that I think he's capable of having, and don't read into it at all. Like, I think he can, is not capable. Sure. You know, a lot of times my rankings are like, this is what I believe going into the season. I have a, a high regard for Derek Carr and Jared Goff right now in terms of, of, of difference makers that they can make for their teams. A lot of people don't have the same beliefs that I do on that. Um, I think Geno Smith can be a top five quarterback in this league this year if he's able to do what he did a year ago and move forward and get better with some better players with that, especially if you get on a winning roll and this team starts to win and they, you know, it's, it's, it's very capable. So don't, don't for anybody out there that, uh, I don't think I don't believe that Geno Smith can be a top five quarterback in this league next year. Yeah. And Derek Carr at 10, I think I said, David earlier, it's about the 9,000th time I've made that mistake. Um, you've got Russell Wilson at eight. You're expecting a comeback, a bounce back year from him. I am. Uh, I do think last year was an anomaly. Um, not enough has been talked about other than in your guys's, um, you know, around your guys's locale was the, you know, there was the loss of Trevor Moad. Yeah. Uh, how that was yep. felt. Um, a lot of people don't know that Trevor uh, uh, had been working with me since I left prison. Hmm. And in the way I approach my, my, my thinking, he changed everything. There's no way I'm here right now, 10 years later, um, if it weren't for him. And so I know what kind of impact he has. And whatever impact he had on me, it was tenfold with, with Russell. I mean, they were attached to the hip. Russell believes in neutral thinking. Yeah. It's a reason why I think a lot of times fans, media look at him, especially when he was in Seattle, and maybe he came across as a simulation sometimes because of that neutral thinking. It has worked with them for him. It served him well. Now I know when Trevor passed away. Um, but when they did their work, it was during the off season. It was all this planning going into it. So last year was really his first year without. Uh, Trevor. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he overcompensated in many different directions in terms of how he compartmentalized things, uh, how it was viewed, how he went about his business. Uh, I had some good conversations with some of his uh, family this, this off season. And, and they, I think they were in an agreement and they, they believe there is a, there was a uh, response um, that they had come, come to a resolution and how to effectively move forward in a positive direction. And I think you add Sean Payton to the mix. I, I, yeah. I do think there is a substantial bounce back year this year. Um, I think that team gets to double digits. He's an elite quarterback. 
you know, he should be a two-time Super Bowl champion. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it's it, it's incredibly, uh, I think, important for his legacy, and he understands that, uh, and he, he wants to. I mean, the work ethic, the work he put into this year. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see him. It might be the best shape that that. Yeah, I've seen some of the workout videos. He looks he looks as lean. Uh, yeah. I don't know seven point five body percent body fat. Ryan Leaf lean, but um, speaking of weight goals, um, but uh, didn't miss that the other day. But uh, no, he he looks as good as he's looked in in quite some time. Um, yeah, and, and 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 hey, he's got a co- he's got a coach that's got his back. I mean, yeah. the whole Nathaniel Hackett you know BS over the last couple of weeks was all Sean Payton was doing was showing was like, I got my guy sure. riding with him. Yeah. You know, he didn't need to do it. It was unnecessary. He could have done that privacy, the locker room, but you know, Sean Payton's calculating. He does what he needs to do and what he thinks he needs to do. And, you know, you know, people out, outside the program down there aren't happy the way camp has gone so far in terms of the offensive, um, you know, you know, uptick, but no, I'm, uh, I can't wait for that week four, that week five game or whatever it is when they come to town because yeah, uh, if if the Broncos can find a way to get a win in Chicago in Week Four, they could be three and one going up against a one and three uh, Jets team, and that mm-hmm. could be that could be a death nail for the Jets if they can't go to a uh, mile high and get that done. I want to talk about your thoughts on the NFC as a whole, but uh, one more thing on your quarterback list. I'm curious where uh, about where you would rank Brock Purdy uh, staying in the NFC West here. You know, he just amazing what he did when he got the opportunity last year. Um, and there are still people who, just like you said about Geno, need to see it again. There are um, people that are skeptical that what we saw kind of lined up with the skill set that we thought he had coming out of Iowa State. Uh, your thoughts on Purdy? I mean, there's nothing I can I, I can say that 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 he hasn't been able to accomplish. I mean, Kyle Shanahan. Put it this way: when, when it was kind of in doubt of, on who was going to be the starter because of all the injuries and everything, uh, when I went through the NFC quarterbacks, I said the number one guy is Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, and the number two guy is the San Francisco quarterback room. Hmm. Okay. I, I it didn't yeah. matter. I, I don't think it matters who plays. I don't think if Trey Lance goes out there. I don't think it matters if Sam Darnold goes out there or if Brock Purdy goes out there. Hell, you can play him each six games this year for all I care, um, th- they're going to be successful. Kyle Shanahan puts them in a good position. They've got playmakers, and uh, uh, I don't know if a trade has had more impact on a team's success than when Christian McCaffrey was traded for last year. Yeah, um, yeah. talk about a fit. He just, he, I mean, what they were able to accomplish in the second half against the Seahawks in that wild card game, that's, that was, that's what exactly Pete Carroll is going to be looking at and going, okay, that's, that's where we have to get better defensively. You mm-hmm. add Bobby Wagner to the mix. That's a big part of it. Bobby Wagner gets guys on the ground. Getting him back in the mix at a more team-friendly number is the reason why he left in the first place. Sure. Um, I think that's I think that's a real difference maker. Yeah, and what we're seeing in camp this year, and, and Bobby's even admitted it, he said he wasn't 100% his last year in Seattle. And yeah. um, But that we're seeing in camp this year, that, that, that didn't mean he was falling off a ledge, that his skills were deteriorating. He just wasn't healthy because he looks, he looks as quick uh, and energetic in this camp as he has in a long time, and that's got people around here pretty excited. Here is, uh, put another graphic up again, this is your uh, full projection for the NFC. And um, in the NFC West, you've got the Seahawks mirroring last year's record at nine and eight, two games behind the 49ers. Is it, um, is it the, the questions about the defense that um, give you pause to, to give them maybe a, another win or two? You know, we do these during the middle of the summer. Um, and, 
you have to let things take shape and, and form. And uh, I think we're going to do another round of it around the win totals, um, you know, right before kickoff. Um, Seattle um, is right there with Atlanta, Chicago, New York. I do believe. Okay. I think, think they're going to be vying. I don't think they win the division, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So if they don't win the division, they're vying for spots five, six, and seven. Yeah. And if that's the case, those are the teams that they're they're going to be going to be vibing with. They may, you know, San Francisco could be as good as you know a, a fifteen and two type team, and that, that could put Seattle in a place where they're thirteen and four or something like that, and they're still playing in that fifth spot. And that's just unfortunate when you have such a good team in that division they would have to they would have to climb the ladder and get above them and it's not unreasonable that they do that it, it really isn't they played them about as tough as anybody that first half in that wild card game um you know if they put four quarters together it could be a lot different um when it's all said and done so um i think that's a very conservative number for the seattle seahawks this year okay uh, I, I i very well could see them 12 and 5 11 and 6 uh unfortunately being in a position where they'll still be the fifth See, that's where the NFL right. needs to change this. They just they need to change it because the best teams shouldn't be penalized for being in a division where that has a great team. And what really stood out to me, if, if for those of you who can see the graphic, it's not Philadelphia Eagles that has your pick for the highest win total in the NFC. You yeah. you've got the New Orleans Saints at twelve and five, best record in the NFC. What is it? Is it just is it the fit of Derek Carr there that's going to put them over the top? What do you what do you like so much about the Saints? Oh, man, I'm just so I'm so high on Derek Carr. I love his work ethic. Um, I think you finally give him a top ten defense, and you'll get to see what you've. He was good enough to get his teams to the playoffs, or right on the verge of the playoffs, with a you know a, a defense in the twenty to thirty two range each and every year. You give him a top ten defense with Davis and Jordan and uh, Tyrell Matthew. This this team is going to be tough. The division. Uh, isn't great and just go look at and i and before i did this I, I i go into it blind my producers give me the schedules and while i'm prepping for the show it's the first time i'm looking at the schedules when i'm going through my and in the way i go about my business i go i look at a game and i go okay that's an outright win in my eyes so i give hmm. them one 1.0 i look at it and i go this is this is kind of a toss-up this game could go either way 50 50 it's probably a point spread of three on each side or whatever i'm gonna that's a 0.5 in terms of the win call so then I add them all up at the end. And when you look at their schedule, just go take a look at their schedule. It is not murderer's row. Hmm. It is not. And so I had them, I had them at 12 and five. Yeah. And then I added up everybody else's and I, and I went, hmm. You know, I, I've sat with the algorithm part of this. I have never been, I don't gamble. I've never been in, uh, 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 you know, gambling when it comes to, what I know is the football aspect of things. And right. it's from a much different mindset. And we were, I went 32 games over 500 last year against the spread. And uh, so if you, if you followed me, you, you had a, you had a good season. Yeah. And so I've, I've gone about the same business as I've done it last year. You know, this is a from I would say it, this is 70% from a player's mindset to 25% of it being uh, the science, the algorithm, the math of it. And then for me, the, the last five really is just kind of gut. I mean, that's that's what, what this comes down to me. And I feel like the Saints team, if healthy, uh, and just today I heard they may be uh, bringing in Kareem Hunt. 
uh, to, to supplement while Alvin Kamara is out those three games suspension. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's step. an interesting that's, fit. That's a difference maker. And I think they could be in a position um, when the season comes now, you know, Philly could do what they did last year. Like, I mean, they didn't get any, they didn't do anything to diminish their product. They actually got better. I think, especially on the defensive side of the football right. and younger. Um, but I just, I feel like there's, there's a bit of a, a bounce back there. But it wouldn't surprise me if that team's sixteen and one or fifteen and two, and then wow. in same type of thing. You know, there, there's nothing that you can look at. I feel like on that team and think that they're not in a better position from where they were last year, where they were, you know, a couple plays away from being Super Bowl champs. Tell people about uh, the Straight Line podcast. Uh, yeah, it's with the Points Bet Sportsbook, which will be uh, as we were just um, uh, purchased by Fanatics. Uh, for a, a, a measly sum of $225 million. Um, but that should open up a lot of different possibilities for us in our show. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a sports talk show is what it is. And when the season comes, you know, it, it's, what I, it's what I did with my dad growing up. We sat at the yeah. counter, I talked football, and now I just do it in front of a camera um, for the delight of the TikTok and uh, social media <laughs> Uh, nation who loves to comment. I recently, this is this is true, New York Jets fans. I recently got two death threats from New York Jets fans because I said that they would not win the Super Bowl this year. Wow! And uh, they just don't want somebody putting that mojo out into the universe, I guess. Um, but I, I like what I get to do. Uh, it's allowed me to to stay involved with the game, and so you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, go to Points Bet Sportsbook YouTube channel, uh, the Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. Um, a lot of fun. We talk about everything from from football to life uh, to recovery. I mean, it's it's a, it's a, it's a pretty special show, and I'm really grateful for for them to give me that opportunity. Well, you do it well, and I'm grateful for you uh, to come on our show and class it up here a little bit and uh, take your time to be on Seahawks forever. And uh, just uh, again, I. Uh, I, I couldn't say it enough as a former Coug. It's just, it's, and just as a football fan and a, and a fan of, of good people, it's just been, it's really been cool watching your journey over the last 10, 12, 15 years and uh, really proud of you and where you're at. And uh, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it, Ryan. Love it, man. Murrow School of Communication. That's right. stick together. <laughs> and, you know, we talk about the death of the Pac-12 conference. I wonder how much longer schools of communication like that are going to exist because just that, you know, we could have a whole discussion about the changes in journalism and, and you know, does that really even fit in with a collegiate curriculum? And because and, the things that Glenn Johnson taught me, yep. I don't see a lot of them being executed in, in today's uh, journalistic world. So, uh, again, that's a whole nother discussion, but uh, really, really appreciate your time. Uh, that's Ryan Leaf. I'm Dan Viennes. Uh Stay tuned this week. I'll uh, have reaction to the Seahawks' first preseason game against the Vikings on Thursday. Maddie Brown from the Seattle Overload podcast will be joining me tomorrow as well to break down some X's and O's as only he does the way he does it from across the pond. Until then, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Subscribe to the channel and like this video forever and always. Go Hawks. Go Goons. There we go.